Jenny Cooney has been a part of Hollywood for 30 years, reporting on all the Aussie stars, from Hoags to the Hemsworths, Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman, Margot Robbie and beyond. This is Aussies in Hollywood. Today I'm with Aussie actress Yvonne Strahovski, who may not be a household name to a lot of people, but I've been following Yvonne's career from the beginning. She's got a great story. She arrived in 2007 and landed a major role in the TV comedy here, Chuck, three days after she got off the plane, which I think is sort of the opposite to everybody else I talk to. But it wasn't smooth sailing, even though she got the role quickly, because for five seasons, the show was always on the verge of being cancelled. She did get this great gig right off the plane, but she never knew when they were going to pull the rug out from under her. After Chuck finally ended, Yvonne was able to sort of jump into all kinds of really interesting projects. She did parts in movies with Robert De Niro and Barbara Streisand. She did a season of 24 and a season of Dexter. So she's really had an interesting career. What's coming up for Yvonne now is the most talked about show of the year so far called Handmaid's Tale with Elizabeth Moss. And she has a killer role in this and it's getting so much acclaim over here. I got to interview Yvonne while the Australians in film were actually screening an episode of Handmaid's Tale in the screening room next door. We were at Charlie's, which is Charlie Chaplin's old office, now belonging to Australians in Film on the Raleigh Studios lot in Hollywood. Well, before the interview even started, I had to get one thing straight with Yvonne. Now, it, it is Strahovski. Is that how you pronounce it? Strahovski, yeah. I mean, it's not technically the original traditional Polish way of saying it, but that's the English version that I've come up with. So how, what, what would you say traditionally? It's Strzechowski, which involves a whole lot of consonants without breaking them up with vowel sounds, um, which no one, you can't, no one can do if you don't speak some kind of European language, I think. It's like sneezing. You have to kind of go, Strzechowski. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, your story is so amazing because you came over here a long time before this new wave of Australians, it seems, and yet you didn't come with like a huge movie or something, you know, that, that introduced you to Hollywood in that way. Talk a little bit about how it came about that you ended up here and from what I gather, the, you got this lead role in a series like a few days after you showed up in LA. Yes, it, it was. <laughs> um, it feels pretty crazy, I guess, when I look back on it. I wasn't planning on coming to LA for the longest time. Um, and I, I remember a group of, uh, friends were heading over here and they sort of put it in my head that, oh, you should, you, you know, you should come along. And, um, and so I ended up calling my agent and saying, oh, do you, do you think I should go? And she said, yes, you should actually, I'm heading over there and I'm going to take some meetings. So I'll, I'll, you know, I'll take your photo and your bio and, and, talk to some managers and agents about you and, and see what happens. And so then I met my managers at the, who were still with me 10 years later um, when I, well, on that trip. And, um, and they sent me a bunch of pilots to read over Christmas that, that year. And uh, I was actually still in Australia shooting my last role ever that I did there on, on Australian TV. 
Uh, and at the same which time, was, I was, which was a, <laughs> that, that little role on Sea Patrol that I had, I was, I was on a plane going up to Cairns, um, back and forth from Sydney to complete that, and then hiring out a studio in Surrey Hills to put down these auditions for pilot season. Um, I still am friends with Scott and Fletch, who used to run that place, the Lower East Side Studios, and. Um, and then Chuck was one of those things that I put down and then I ended up uh, buying a two-month ticket, a return ticket. And literally the day that I landed, my new managers had called and said they want to meet you. And then it just felt like one thing after another and three days later I ended up with a job and I couldn't believe it. It was not something I ever planned I lived that whole year out of that one suitcase that I had and I think I had eight different rental cars and I think I moved about four or five times just from one place to another because I just didn't – I just kept thinking, oh, I'm going to go home now. I'm going to go home now and then I never went home. Now I'm so, still here. So, wait, you, you were here three days and you ended up with the lead in a network TV comedy. It was something like three days I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was. I I I didn't even know what the process was here. I had no idea what they meant when they said, "Oh, we want you to come in and test for the network and test for the studio and all these people in their suits in the room." I remember there wasn't even a camera. The first time I was there, there was just forty people in this one little room, and it was very it was very strange. And looking back on it, it's so funny how much I've I've learnt in this whole time and. It just feels like night and day. <laughs> Chuck, Mondays this fall on NBC. Uh, Sarah, hey, quick, quick, uh, quick question before you go. Uh, what's your plan once you find Quinn? I kill him, and then I, I disappear forever. Really, really, wow. Okay, well then, my second question. I, I, I can't be here. I don't know how to be the woman that you remember me as. All I remember is being a spy, a good one. That's all I know how to do. So you you started on the show. Did you did you keep thinking the rug was going to get pulled out from under you, or did you think that the show would last as long as it did? I mean, oh, I didn't. Uh, we oh, we were never sure about the show. The show was always on the bubble. The show, you know, we got hit with the writer strike that first year. I think it was two thousand seven. So we only ended up with I think thirteen episodes for that first season. And but then we were always on the bubble. So they were always threatening to cancel us mid season and at the end of every season. But then somehow we ended up lasting five years and after the five years I remember thinking oh you know maybe maybe my time has come to an end now because I thought maybe that was just the one thing that I was meant to do uh, and I was worried about being you know typecast and I'd spent five years running around in people's living rooms as a CIA agent you know with a gun and and this is the story I'm sure you hear from so many people who are on network shows that run for, you know, 24 episodes a, a season, but you're working 18-hour days usually when you first start, like 90-hour weeks or something. And so you're, you're pretty sleep-deprived, so you just have to kind of keep going and you're constantly learning. I remember, I remember I was working, you know, those hours so much that I felt like I didn't have time to make friends and have a personal life. And so I think it took me a long time to really connect with people just in my personal life and establish a community, which is so important for anybody, especially when you're leaving your home country, coming to a new place and you don't, you don't know anything. You don't even know what a grocery store is called. You know, you gotta, you gotta figure it all out somehow. 
The one thing I thought I was going to get fired for was having bad skin. I was having, I had really bad skin for a really long time, and um, and I thought for sure they're going to fire me for all my zits on my face. Seriously, <laughs> seriously, that was the thing that I let thought the was record show get me. that there is not a zit on uh, her face today. <laughs> well, no, no, I I quit sugar. I I have not eaten sugar for six years. That was my my big. Wow. Creator. Sugar. (laughs) So can we go back to the start because you also didn't come from a family with acting was, you know, in the the family. In fact, your parents are uh, immigrants from Poland, right? Mm -hmm. So, And you grew up in a small town in New South Wales. Can you just give us a little idea of what your childhood was like? My childhood was sort of both Polish and Australian because I – we speak Polish at home and I – Technically, it was my first language growing up. So, um, you know, I I grew up very much within a Polish culture um, while at the same time, you know, going going to school like a normal Aussie girl and and having my Aussie upbringing. Um, I met my family for the first time when I was eight years old because my whole family still lives in Poland and did then. And um, my parents didn't want to go back earlier than that because of the political situation still back in Poland. And But I always loved acting. My dad had one of those huge JVC cameras, those big giant ones that you have to put on your shoulder. And um, we had a – I mean, we have a ton of home videos as a family, but I remember utilising that camera a lot when I was a kid. And and then I, I, I think I was into my first acting class when I was 12 – I just, I think I wanted to do it since then. And I was fortunate enough to go to a school, a high school that really celebrated the arts and really had an amazing drama school program. I'm always forever grateful for that experience at my high school, at Santa Sabina High School in Strathfield. (laughs) (laughs) I had great teachers. I had great, great time. I, I mean, we were doing Shakespeare's with our brother school at you know, 14 and I mean, it's such a, it's invaluable, that great experience as a kid, you know. And you had a big passion for theatre, right? I did because um, mainly that's really all I, I knew at the time, I, you know, coming out of high school, doing all the plays and the musicals and then mainly just working on stage stuff through school and for the HSC and then going straight into the three-year drama degree at the University of Western Sydney, which was, they had a program, you know, Theatre Nepean back then, which unfortunately isn't around anymore, but we, it was mainly stage training. We, we barely did any camera stuff. So we, when we, when we uh, graduated from university, I remember starting a little theatre company with my friend Anna and uh we called it Sauna Productions because she is originally from Finland. <laughs> Saunas are pretty big in Finland. so And most of the work that we were doing were actually Finnish plays that she had sourced or seen at one point in her lifetime. And when you got to be on Broadway, that must have been like a big pinch me moment. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was, uh, that was insanely amazing and insanely terrifying at the same time. I hadn't... I hadn't done theatre in seven years, I think. It was since Anna and I had our company. What was the name of the play? Golden Boy. And how long were you on Broadway? 
I think we did a three-month run. It was a limited run uh, because normally I guess they go for up to a year, which is standard, which I, I don't even know. I take my hat off to the, those Broadway actors who get up there every single night. It is absolutely grueling. You're, you know, you're doing eight shows a week, two shows on Wednesdays and two shows on Sundays, and you have Mondays off. And no matter you know, how you feel or whatever it is, you, you're there at that exact time every single day showing up and, and doing your thing. And that was a, a demanding play. It was a three-hour play and it was a lot of, uh, it was a lot of high intensity and emotion. You've made a lot of really interesting choices. You seem to be able to sort of do TV and then movies and then other TV and then theatre. Um, do you did you have a plan when you got here? Do you have a plan now? Like, <laughs> is it pointless to have a plan? Oh, <laughs> uh, no, I think everyone should have a plan. I. Um, well, what was your plan I in know those that two I... <laughs> days before you got your first Well, goal? I definitely didn't have a plan then. Uh, but since then, uh, well, I don't know if I'd maybe call it a plan. Maybe uh, it's more um, just you know, where I would like to see myself go or what, what interests me. And, and that is really just to sort of keep it um, interesting and do different genres and do different mediums, you know, do the TV, do the film, do the theatre. And um, I just think you learn so much and they're all so different in their own right. And for me, it's always been more about... Um, change trying to change it up you know and and do different types of characters and and hopefully stuff that's a bit more you know complex um I don't know I like I like when things are a bit dark so this um Handmaid's thing is really it's it's kind of up my alley even though it's also quite depressing I was asleep before that's how we let it happen when they slaughtered congress we didn't wake up when they blamed terrorists and suspended the Constitution, we didn't wake up then either. Now I'm awake. But I, once I got involved, obviously then, I mean, once I knew I was, I was going to be part of the project, I picked up the book straight away and then learned about this, you know, whole new world. Uh, I didn't, I, I also learned that the book was part of the Canadian school curriculum and it, it's studied a lot and it had been for many years. And it's just been this journey of realising that I'm part of something that's sort of become bigger than I think anyone initially had prepared for. And not not because the show is great. The show is great and I have I have seen several of the episodes and it and it is beautiful and stunning. They've they've done just such an amazing job with it. But also because the content in its own right is so powerful. But when you put that content that powerful content in the time of now where we are in 2017 and the current political climate here especially in the states and everything else that you're hearing on the news it's amazing that it's just sort of aligned itself in this way oh absolutely (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty depressing (laughs) Uh, it kind of makes you realize what you know what could how close you can come to things changing rapidly in a country that you think is you know a democracy yeah I think it'll make people really think and 
there'll be a lot of discussion about it. Totally. There'll be a lot of discussion. There already is. It's amazing. I've just been sort of talking about it for four days now because we just premiered in New York at Tribeca and um, there's so much conversation about what the show stands for, what, you know, the idea of feminism and how that comes in, into play with, with this story. Um, yeah, it, it's been really amazing to see all those discussions. And you had some amazing scenes with you and Elizabeth Moss and Joseph Fiennes. I mean, very, I would imagine some of them were very challenging. Can you explain a little bit about what the dynamic is and, and what were some of the challenges in the actual scenes with the three of you? Essentially, you know, we're, we're living in the Republic of Gilead, which is formerly known as America, and the, the democracy has been overthrown by a fundamentalist religious group. So now we're living in this totalitarian kind of society, but the state, so it's, it's, it's almost present day, it's the near future. I mean, to me, it's, when I watch it, it seems like present day. Um, and, you know, we've sort of messed up the world. They, you know, I'm sort of quoting from the show when, when they say, you know, we, we filled the air with chemicals and poisons and, um, and, and the rulers of Gilead believe that God has put a curse on us, especially women, for the way that we've conducted ourselves. And that's why birth rates have fallen. And there are hardly any children being born. And the idea is in this new, under this new government that we're going to collect all the fertile women who are still able to have babies and separate them from their children if they have any existing children and give them to the elite couples that run Gilead and I play one of those elite rulers I play the wife but in our world the women and the wives included are not allowed to work or read or write they're only allowed to follow their biological destinies which means caring for the child that their handmaid provides them the fertile woman that's been given to them Um, and we have to do these these rituals where once a month when our handmaid is ovulating, the commander has to have sex with the handmaid while the wife is present. So we end up in these insane, uh, what we call rituals, which is horrendous when you're watching it because essentially Lizzie Moss, who plays this handmaid, Offred, is a sex slave in our household. She's, uh, she's breeding stock. Late again, as usual. What is it about men? The knock is prescribed, because tonight this room is her domain. Come in. It's a little thing, but in this house, little things mean everything. Good evening. Dear? Now let's get started. So we have to do these scenes, um, which I thought when I first read, I thought, oh, this is going to be complicated or this this is going to be one of the most awkward scenes I've ever filmed in my life. But it really wasn't, I have to say. I We obviously were incredibly sensitive to the subject matter because it does bring up a lot of issues. But at the same time, when you're filming something as on a whole, uh, uh, when you're filming a series with such serious content, you have to be able to breathe and laugh and have fun with each other on the day. And I think we, we kind of did that, you know, it was a real blend of, you know, how do we get this right? And, and also sort of having a giggle about <laughs> how we were 
trying to <laughs> physically show this scene and choreograph it physically. What's so amazing about it is that there's there's a, there's so much tension. You you know there's there's not a whole lot that we can actually say to each other in the way that you, you and I can say stuff to each other now in, in this type of world. We've set we've set ourselves up in this other world of Gilead where the rules are very thick and rigid and penalties for crossing those lines are huge and life-threatening at times so it's um it's so amazing to be able to play with all the little nuances and looks and physicalities because it seems like every little twitch counts on camera in this show and every every little look counts and the way that reed filmed those first three episodes also it's very in your face and you're really with offred watching how she negotiates all these people that she meets in this world of Gilead and yeah it's yeah amazing in a moment Avon shares about working with some of the biggest names in Hollywood and we're talking like Robert De Niro Kiefer Sutherland Barbara Streisand and also she's got some great advice for young Australians who are thinking about coming to Hollywood too so can you talk a little bit about some of the other actors that have maybe had an influence on you or inspired you in the last 10 years? I mean, I don't know, when you were on Chuck for a long time, uh, you and Zachary must have spent a ton of time together. But then you also ended up working with people like Robert De Niro and Barbara Streisand. Can you sort of reflect back on some of those experiences? Yeah, I mean, look, I think, I mean, I'm inspired by... Everyone that I've worked with, I learn so much off every set. Everybody works differently and it's it's sort of been a big learning curve. I mean, from from the days of Chuck with Zach and Joshua Gomez and uh, and everyone on that show, I learned so much about American comedy and those guys, you know, I was the serious anchor of that show. I, I was sort of the, the beating heart, I guess, behind it in a way, but they were they were the funny. And I remember... You were the straight man. I was the straight man and, yeah, and they, and they were the funny. So I remember watching them and just learning so much from them and being inspired by that and, and then, you know, working with someone like Michael C. Hall, um, how invested he is in, in his craft. I think he's really... He's a real craftsman and what he does... Uh, and, and how he does it and, and being, you know, I, I walked away very inspired from that. And also Jennifer Carpenter on that show. I thought she was extraordinary. But what about Robert De Niro? I mean, I didn't have that much time with him. I, ha- I mean, <laughs> I had enough. I Gosh. Uh, it's Robert De Niro. It's Robert De Niro. <laughs> I know. I, I'll never forget that day. We were in Melbourne and it was his first scene. I'd already been working on that in, on Killer Elite and I'd done a bunch of scenes already with Jason and – um, and it was Robert De Niro's first day. So everyone came down from the production office. Everyone and their mother was there to watch Robert De Niro's first scene that happened to be with me. And they, they happened to set up the camera on me first. And I kept thinking, oh, why can't you just set up the camera on Robert De Niro first? This is the, he's been doing it for ages. Why do you have to put it on me? Because I kept thinking, oh, my God, it's Robert De Niro. Um, but I got through it <laughs> somehow. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you You look lonely. You're Danny's friend. The famous hunter. You say nice things. What are you doing here? Watching you. You should be with him. I tried. It didn't work. You wanted me here to protect you. And you look like you needed protecting. From what? You. 
You're thinking about I'm not coming back. What happens then? You also, I guess you would have spent a bit of time with Kiefer Sutherland uh, in 24 and that was, you know, that character that you had in Chuck, it sort of took that character in a very different way but it was a a sort of a kick-ass woman in the intelligence community. So Mm -hmm. what was that experience like working on, on such an iconic show? I mean, you've come into shows like Dexter and 24, you know, after they've already become what they are Mm -hmm. is that a different kind of challenge uh I mean I don't know I try I guess I try not to look at it as a as a challenge or sort of pay attention to that because then I get distracted from what um from from what my real job is and that is to sort of figure out the you know each of those characters and and what they're all about but that that was that was so fast Paced twenty four was probably <laughs> um, coincidentally the the fastest uh, shooting I've ever done, wow. which makes sense, right? Because it's it is all about the ticking clock. Um, but no, I, I, I that was amazing to to watch Kiefer work. He he, I mean he's he is that show, and uh, he knew that inside out, back to front, and he was just so on point and um, just knew exactly what he wanted and how he was going to do it and that was really cool to work on that. Now you've been in a great position here for 10 years to sort of watch all the other waves of younger, newer Australians that are struggling or trying to get their big break here and you're, you know, a decade in now. So do you have any advice for any of these Aussies that just decide they're going to get on a plane and come here and do it? Oh, I don't know. Everyone's journey is so different. Uh, I mean, I would say you you have to just sort of be persistent and um, if it's truly what you want to do, I think just keep persisting because if it's not you, something's got to give and if it's not going to be you, then it's going to be something else. So you just have to keep going and, you know, all the trends and things change all the time and there's always different themes and different projects that people want to build stories around so it's always ebbing and flowing and I think now more than ever there's been in the last few years you know it's not so traditional anymore we've got we don't just have network television we've got cable and then some we've got you know all the Hulus and the Netflix and then every it seems like everyone is becoming a network now and the platform's completely changing so there's so much more content than there ever was, especially in in TV. So um, I feel like feel like chances are are even better nowadays because <laughs> there's so much material, and TV has so much really good really good material going on. Do you have any theories about why you think so many Australians have been so successful over here when we are a relatively small country when it comes down to the actual numbers? I mean, do you think we bring something unique? I mean, I, I don't know. It, it, it seems just generally as a culture, Australians are, are pretty relaxed and we're looser and more casual just in, in, in our appearance, I think, in the, in the way that we talk maybe. Um, and that's just sort of a very general cultural thing. And I think we fill that gap here when that's needed. I mean... That whole thing about the you know Australian men being rugged and 
I don't know that they make them that way here in the States. <laughs> um, they just seem to make them a bit more rugged and undone. Um, I'm being really general, but that's kind of kind of how it is. Um, I don't know. We also, I think there's a lot of, you know, like for, my, for myself, you know, I did the three years at theatre school and a lot of people come here with that in their back pocket. They've done a, they've done a lot of training or a lot of study. They know accents and they know they just they just have studied and they've had some stage time it seems just generally speaking this is sort of what what I've seen in in people do you um do you miss uh, Australia do you get home much and do you do anything in particular here to kind of keep yourself grounded in that like you know watch sports or read the Australian papers or I don't know oh I mean my family and friends keep me keep me grounded I think uh I haven't this has been the longest time I've been away it's going to be almost two years so I haven't been back in almost that long before that I think I was there at least once a year I do miss it I mainly I miss the nature of Australia because I grew up camping a lot I spent a lot of time out in the Blue Mountains and traveling with my tent in a backpack and I really miss that there but I but I do that here now as well and I'm getting a bit more well versed with American nature because it does involve a whole bag of different tricks here when you're dealing with black bears and mountain lions and things that we don't have in Australia I don't understand why everybody is scared of Australian wildlife I I would much rather deal with Australian snakes (laughs) and a big giant bear standing right next to me that I feel like could eat me alive. I don't know. I just – people get really freaked out about Australian they do, wildlife. They do, because everything can kill you in Australia. Yeah, but here they have they have mountain lions and bears. Do you look up to any of the Australians that came before you? Do you have any uh, inspiration from, you know, like the Cape Blanchetts and people like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean – I remember or at the time or 10 years ago, I remember reading an article about Naomi Watts and how, and I have not met Naomi Watts, but um, I remember reading something about her that, she, you know, it took 10 years before she got the movie Mulholland Drive. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, well, I'll, I'll just give myself 10 years then. If, um, if I don't do anything in, in that 10 years, then maybe I'll go home. But you're still here? I'm still here. I guess things went, went well. So uh, here's to another 10. <laughs> I think that's a good note to say thank you very much, Yvonne, for thank your you. time. And um, can't wait to see what you do next. Thanks. Thanks right. so much. Thank you. When Yvonne came to the screening at Australians in Film... She brought her own little posse of friends and most of them were Aussies and some of them were people she'd gone to drama school with. Um, she clearly has a very grounded sense of who her support is in LA and it was really cool to see them all there sort of cheering her on and how excited they were after they saw the episode. Yvonne's Moore has been known more as a working actress, which is not the same as a movie star. And so you don't find them in mansions in Beverly Hills. They're just, you know, the great, kind of actors that often don't get the role that makes them famous. So I was really blown away by her in Handmaid's Tale. I have never seen her do anything like that before and I really feel like this is probably a launching pad to an even bigger career now. Well, Yvonne got some good news recently when they decided because of this incredible response they've been getting for Handmaid's Tale that they are going to pick it up for a second season. 
and Handmaid's Tale is doing so well that it's now going to be available on SBS On Demand in Australia. I think Yvonne's going to be an inspiration to a lot of young Aussies who are looking at careers and trying to get inspiration or ideas because, you know, she didn't have anything when she came over. She didn't have that big Muriel's wedding or dead calm. So the fact that she has managed to keep evolving and keep jumping into great, interesting work, I think really the sky's the limit. Next time on Aussies in Hollywood, Jenny chats to Catherine Langford, the star of the breakout Netflix series 13 Reasons Why, in her first Australian interview on the hurdle she faced in landing the role of Hannah Baker. I am jobless, I am drama schoolless, and it was about that time that 13 Reasons Why came around. All my managers called and, and said, OK, do you want the, the good news or the bad news? And I went, OK, well, let's go good news. And they're like, you got the part. Bad news is we've got to get you an O1 visa in 10 days without ever having done anything. And usually, even if it's expedited, it's like six weeks. So we were pushing it. That's next time on Aussies in Hollywood. Aussies in Hollywood is recorded in LA for Podcast One. Recording is by Andrew Sink. Audio production by Alex Mitchell and Nick Slater. Produced by Tim Dunlop. Executive producer is Jamie Show. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.